Life Audio. Faith Over Fear is brought to you by Life Audio and is part of our Faith Toolkit series. For more inspirational, faith-affirming podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Hello, welcome to the Faith Over Fear podcast, where we discuss powerful truths to counter anxiety and fear, big and small. At Holy Love Ministries, we are passionate about helping God's children discover, embrace, and experience soul, deep, emotional, and spiritual freedom, and we want to inspire you to share that freedom with others. We would love to connect with you online. Just visit our show notes to learn about one of our upcoming events, how to book one of our speakers for your next event, or simply how to connect with us. Before we begin today's discussion, I wanted to share about a fun giveaway I am hosting in December. I will be selecting one person randomly from my newsletter subscriber list to receive a book bundle. In that bundle includes Stand in Confidence by Amanda Pittman, Remaining You While Raising Them, The Secret Art of Confident Motherhood by Allie Worthington, Rooted, A Girlfriend Gathering Study of Philippians by Becky Harling, Better Than Okay, Finding Hope and Healing After Your Marriage Ends by Brandi Wilson, and A Faith That Will Not Fail by Michelle Couchette. So if you are not a subscriber, you still have time to subscribe to my newsletter and get in on the drawing. You can do so by visiting my website, Jennifer Slattery Lives Out Loud. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with The King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith, and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Jennifer Slattery, and in my ongoing battle against anxiety, I have become fascinated and encouraged by all the research related to ways in which we can, in essence, rewire our brains for increased peace. And the research that I read, it led me to become strategic and explorative with my self-care, which in turn led me to today's guest, Dr. Irene Craigle, and her book, The Mindful Christian. Irene, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Dr. Irene Craigle is a clinical psychologist in Grand Rapids, Michigan. She's worked in community mental health and then in private practice before joining John Calvin's University Center for Counseling and Wellness in 2009, first as a counselor and now serving as director. She is known for her writing and her resources at her website, The Mindful Christian, and that's the title of her book, 
which I loved. I read it. I've been practicing it. And so here is from the back cover. Mindfulness can help you live more joyfully and wholeheartedly in the world God created. The Mindful Christian provides readers with an overview of mindfulness practice through the lens of faith, showing how the ancient healing practice of mindfulness can help them live more joyfully and wholeheartedly. For Christians who are experiencing emotional pain, spiritual lethargy, or feelings of disconnection, or for Christians who are simply curious about how mindfulness can fit with their lives and their faith, this book will help them learn more about and engage in mindfulness in ways that leave them more compassionate, more joyful, more content, and at peace with themselves and with God. And you give a lot of really practical steps. So for those who maybe haven't haven't practiced it before, so I thought that was really good and a lot of different ways that they can do it as well. And having read your book, I would probably summarize it by saying that it really helps us to become more alert to the present and more able to live out 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, which tells us to take our thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. Yeah, I think mindfulness has so much to do with being intentional about our thoughts and our relationship with our thoughts. And there's absolutely great overlap with that scripture of just recognizing that we have choices when we are confronted with thoughts, with any thoughts, but particularly thoughts that are anxiety provoking or pulling us into a negative spiral. Christ really wants to free us from being captive to those. And I really do see mindfulness as one of those practices, one of those tools that Christians can use in that process. Yeah. And that might lead some to question who haven't heard of that before, Christian mindfulness. And so what would you say makes Christian mindfulness different from maybe those practiced by other faith communities? It's probably helpful to start with a definition of mindfulness there. So mindfulness is a word that started to be used in a lot of different ways that don't necessarily reflect the true definition of what it is. So it's not, for example, feeling calm. It's not, you know, listening to peaceful music. It's not even necessarily just taking a break. Mindfulness is really defined as paying attention with intentionality to the present moment and doing that with an attitude of non-judgmental open acceptance with curiosity about whatever we might find in the moment. And then it does have a whole series of practices that have been developed over time that support that paying attention. But really, of all those words I just said, the most important is just paying attention. That's what mindfulness is. It's learning to pay attention. So as you can tell from the definition, it's not inherently religious in any way. Um, sometimes people just call it selective attentional training. Like it's really just more learning how to put our attention, put our minds where we want our attention to be, where we want our minds to be. And so it's not hard to imagine how this can easily be applied in a Christian context when we think of it that way. God loves it when we pay attention. I mean, there's so much in scripture about opening our ears and opening our eyes and actually hearing and seeing, like tasting and seeing, the, you know, kind of that the Lord is good, like really being in tune with what God's doing, because the kingdom of God can show up in really tiny ways. And we need to be attentive to make sure that we see and hear those little pieces of the kingdom. So it can be easily blended with Christianity. If we want to be attentive to the divine, then we have to be able to pay attention, to be paying attention to what's happening in the moment so we can see God. So the way that mindfulness has come to the West most recently is largely through um, people practicing Buddhism, which some would describe as a religion, some would describe more as a 
philosophy or a psychology. Buddhism talks about not really having a self, sort of recognizing like people as completely porous in some ways and not being different. And I do think there's something about Christian theology that really values the self in a collective sense too, but it recognizes that we are actually each crafted by God in God's image. And there's something beautiful about the ways that each of us reflects who God is collectively, but also individually. So that would be one of the big things I noticed in terms of a difference. I think really religions can take mindfulness any direction they want because it's more just about where we choose to place our attention. With Christian mindfulness, we are choosing to include God as part of where we are focusing our attention. And we sometimes talk in mindfulness about choosing the object of our attention or choosing anchors for our attention. And when I, as a Christian, approach mindfulness, I'm often aware that God is one of these places that I can anchor my attention in any given moment. So not just aware of the other things that are happening in my environment, but also aware of God being present with me. That reminds me actually of a quote you wrote in your book. You said, when we practice mindful awareness as Christians, we do so with the fundamental belief that God's presence is everywhere and that all things are marked in some way with the creative, beautiful, and redemptive stamp of the divine. I loved that quote. I also appreciated you began your book talking about a time when you experienced profound sadness and that mindfulness played a big part of your self-care during that period. Is that correct? It is. Yeah. And really part of my own journey of coming to mindfulness was recognizing that I needed new tools to manage myself and my own emotions. I definitely have a history of depression in my own life and in my family history, it runs pretty deep. And there was a point in, you know, I hit kind of late 30s, early 40s and realized everything in terms of the circumstances of my life had actually fallen into place in a pretty great way. You know, like things that I'd really been longing for for a long time had come to fruition. And it was during that period where I realized that some pretty intense depression I was feeling needed something. I needed a deeper tool um, to address what was a more longstanding pattern. I'm a psychologist by training. And so, you know, I had tried all of the things and I... And I actually support a whole, a very holistic approach to self care and to treatment. And so, but I felt like many of the tools in mental health can sometimes just scratch the surface. And while we need surface scratchers as well, we also need deeper tools to, to rearrange how we're thinking and how we're relating to ourselves. I was a little bit hesitant about mindfulness at the time because there was anxiety in the Christian community about whether it could be integrated with faith. But I was pretty desperate at that time. And I also thought, I'll keep my eyes out and listen to God here, kind of here for God's leading through this process. And it was very quick in my own mindfulness journey that I realized that my faith was really being invigorated by this practice and that some of the challenges I had relating to myself and the world around me were also challenges that I had in relating to God. A lot of it had to do with overthinking everything and kind of getting lost in interpretations and analysis and predictions and judgments. And as I became more aware of those thinking patterns through mindfulness, it really actually freed me up to experience God's presence in a much more powerful way. So it was a very healing experience. And I approached it initially for that kind of some emotional relief myself and found 
that it was very effective very quickly for that. But it was also really exciting to think of as a tool then to bring to others through my work or the rest of my life, others who might benefit from it as well. And I'm glad you mentioned that you too felt some kind of maybe trepidation. I think we hear things, right? We hear a lot of buzzwords and we don't always know not everybody's using the same language because I've felt that too. And I've, I've just told myself, I have a prayer like, Lord, remove everything that's false in my brain. You know, keep me from falsehoods, keep me from deception, from lies, fill me with truth. And then I just trust him. I want to say that to our listeners. If this is something you haven't heard before, or if maybe you've heard conversations and like I said, we can use different words and not always know what we're using, but what they mean, what we're referring to, I would encourage you to just offer it up to God and say, lead me. He's a faithful father. He's kind. He's loving. And he will he will protect you. He'll protect your mind and your heart. So speaking of that as well, when you noticed how beneficial it was for you personally, and I'm sure you've probably seen it or heard maybe from your clients that it's been beneficial to Mm -hmm. them. How is it specifically? So a lot of our listeners struggle with anxiety and fear, some whether it's related to past trauma, some whether it's related to situational, just a lot of different things. How can mindfulness help them to fight against their anxiety? to experience increased shalom, I guess, increased peace. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. It's fascinating. So it's, we could probably spend a few hours unpacking the why behind that and really research is still exploring it. I think it's important to clarify that mindfulness is just a tool along the way. So there are sometimes we hear about mindfulness as if it's the end all be all miracle cure for everything. There's no miracle cure for everything, right? We all are on the journey of healing, but it's, you know, not going to be a waving a magic wand kind of a thing. But mindfulness seems to be the kind of tool that pulls in a lot of it, it kind of, you know, packs a lot of punch all together, partially because it's really having a direct impact on our brain and on our, our neurology on the way that we're thinking. One of the things we know is that our brain has these neural systems where if we are in a state of inattentiveness, if our mind is wandering, 
Sometimes that can be relaxing for a little bit, but the longer we stay in that inattentive space, our brains start to dredge up negativity. And this is just like a biological thing wow. that happen. And people who are prone to depression are more likely to get more negative in those inattentive states. So there's something about focusing our attention that in and of itself moves our brain in a direction of being able to decrease some of that negative emotion. But the other thing we find with mindfulness is that it's it's moving our attention to be broader than just what's painful for us. And so I think personally, in terms of my experience, this is one of the things I've noticed the most is that when something's difficult, whether it's in my thinking or if it's physical pain or well, those are the two main main areas, right? Like either either in our bodies or in our minds. If we're experiencing some kind of discomfort, our mind, our thinking, and our focus tend to get smaller and smaller, and just ruminating over those same things over and over. Even something as small as a headache can become: Why do I have a headache? Should I have a headache? Am I the kind of person that has headaches? Do should I take meds or should, do I believe in meds? You know, we can just sort of spin off into thinking and overthinking even a small kind of a painful experience. So when something really painful or difficult happens, and that can really send us spinning, what mindfulness does is that it broadens our awareness so that we start to take in more stimulus, more input than just that negative thing that we're ruminating over. The metaphor I've heard before that I find helpful is to think about salt being put into water. If you have a teaspoon of salt and you put it into a little thimbleful or a little tiny glass of water, that's going to be really salty water, like not really even drinkable, right? That would be pretty disgusting. If you take that same teaspoon of salt and you put it in a whole gallon of water, you might taste a little saltiness, but you can drink it, you know, might not be your favorite, but it's okay. Take that teaspoon of salt and put it in a whole barrel of water and you'll have no idea that it's there. So the amount of salt didn't change. And this is how mindfulness is with some of that negative rumination that can happen for us. We don't actually take away our thoughts. In fact, we often avoid in mindfulness using words like battling our thoughts or battling our anxiety, because that meta metaphor that has us sort of turning towards our thoughts and our difficulty and using all of our effort and our striving to try to stop it and change it. And oftentimes we just end up in a bigger power struggle with our experience. So instead, we're more diluting it. <laughs> so we're noticing these thoughts, noticing these experiences that are uncomfortable or painful. And we're using an attitude that sounds a little bit like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> like, okay, let me notice that, you know, even if it feels like crushing pain emotionally or physically, we're noticing let me actually turn towards this experience with kindness and be curious about what I might notice. And as I do that, increasing my curiosity about what else might be in the moment. So, oh, the sun is shining. Oh, there's a breeze on my face. Oh, I'm having this memory of this person that smiled at me today. Oh, this scripture is coming into my heart right now. Oh, God is here. Oh, yeah, God is right here, <laughs> right? So, et cetera. I mean, there are thousands, if not millions of things we can focus in on in every moment, but we have to loosen up our attention a little bit to take in more than just that one negative experience spinning through our head. 
So it's kind of a broadening of our awareness. And that really can lead to a shift then in the emotions that we're experiencing, even just physically, you know, when we're ruminating about one negative thing, we tend to get more tense and kind of hunched and physically wrapped around it. With mindfulness, we notice we have options with that. Like, oh, maybe I have the option to relax my shoulders a little bit. Maybe I have the option to stand up and stretch a little bit to move some of that tension out of my body. And then that kind of movement can lead the way for our minds and our hearts to become more calm as well. So that's sort of a metaphorical example of why it's helpful. Um, but we find that it's not so much stopping our negative experience as much as becoming more curious about our negative experience with more openness. And I think as Christians, we have this invitation then to hand it over to God more freely because God loves us and he's sovereign. And so there's nothing we're experiencing that's scary for God. So when we become a little less afraid of the fear or afraid of the discomfort and we can turn towards it with some gentleness and kindness, I think we're really opening ourselves up to God's gentleness and kindness. And life will always feel a bit up and down, right? Like good days, bad days, hard experiences, good experiences. But with mindfulness, we can learn to kind of ride those waves a little with a little bit less weight. I often think of Jesus saying, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So even in the most difficult times to be able to say, okay, let me notice what I'm carrying. Let me notice what's here and open up my hands so that God um, can do his thing because he always will bring good for us in every circumstance. And we just want to be paying attention to that. That's good. Speaking of if you're afraid of these emotions and if you maybe you haven't done that in the past. You talk a lot in your book about consistency and starting with small things. And so I would like to ask two questions related to that. To the person who's listening to this and like, okay, I'm going to practice mindfulness every day for a week and then I am going to feel great. It's going to be great to become Saturday. Next Saturday, I'll be great. First of all, is that a realistic expectation? No, it's not. <laughs> Great question. Yeah, it is that tendency we all have to want the the magical cure, the quick fix. I often comment that we seem to be living in an age of mental health tips. And that's sort of what we're all looking for is that that one more tip that will somehow help us feel all better all the time. And the reality is, is that life is hard. It's always been hard. It always will be hard. <laughs> I know that doesn't sound like great news, but what is great about it is that we can actually take the pressure off of ourselves to always feel great, to feel at the top of our game, to be well-functioning in every moment. It's okay to be a regular human being that has a fluctuation in our emotional state. And actually, when we let go of the need to quickly fix things, when we let go of the need to fix things in general, ironically, we become more able to go with the flows of the flow of God's healing power in our lives, because it's not us striving to make things different as quickly as possible. It's more of an opening up to God's goodness. And we can kind of get in the way of God sometimes when we're thinking, no, I have to feel this particular way by this particular time. The mindfulness practice in particular, it is a long-term practice. And it's often compared to exercise or, you know, developing physical muscles. In a way, with mindfulness, we're developing the muscle of our attention and the more that we practice that muscle, the more effective we can be at remembering to use our mindfulness, attent mindful attentiveness, and also doing that more quickly when we come to it. So there is research that shows that the effectiveness of mindfulness 
is higher when we practice consistently as compared to maybe big, huge practices just every once in a while. And I think with a Christian perspective on this, like that's how prayer is too, right? That's how any relationship is. For me to have a good relationship with my husband, it's helpful to talk at least a bit every day as opposed to just one long call once a month, right? That wouldn't be as good of a quality of a relationship. So we've built our lives together in a way where there are just these constant touch points through the day and where there's sort of a togetherness. That's what we want with God. We want to be able to develop a prayer life that's sort of about remembering God's there all the time, right? Kind of touch points through the day, not just church once a month or once a week. And it's also what we want with ourselves. This is what mindfulness does is it helps us develop a relationship with ourselves where we're not just waiting to check in with ourselves for when we go talk to our therapist. You know, we should be checking in with ourselves throughout every day, just like we would with a spouse or with God or with a really close friend where we're sort of keeping our finger on the pulse of how we're doing, what thoughts are coming up, what emotions are coming up, what physical sensations are here. Then we can be constantly tuning our response to how we're doing. Mindfulness does have a set of formal practices that have become popular since the 70s, really, here in the United States. And those include things like a sitting practice, a body scan, a loving kindness practice. There are some movement practices. There's a walking meditation. These are practices that, again, they're not religious in any way. They're just practices of learning to pay attention with different guides. So those are really helpful to do on a regular basis. And those help to keep us at sort of a baseline of being connected to ourselves and being able to manage whatever our thoughts and feelings are on a given day. If we can do short ones of those every day, that's a really, really strong practice. But there are also ways that just throughout the course of every day, whenever we're awake, we can be informally applying mindfulness too. So even beyond those formal practices, just the ins and outs of the day to practice checking in with how we're doing, to pause, take a few breaths, notice what's here for me right now, oh yeah, God's right here too, kind of regrounding ourselves in the moment in God's presence. And if we've been doing those formal practices, then that informal mindfulness comes more naturally. It's pretty hard for most of us to just start with the informal practices. I started there initially and didn't get much benefit out of mindfulness until I really circled back around and learned to consistently engage with those more formal practices first. So They're a good combo together, but you definitely don't want to leave out the formal ones. So for those listening who maybe have experienced like where they've been emotionally flooded or where they get overwhelmed, can this help them like maybe starting with. So one thing in your book that I actually love when I cook dinner is the senses. (laughs) Dinner, dinner cooking is a good time for to to smell and to feel and to and would it be maybe beneficial for them or helpful for them if they started in some of those ways before jumping straight to okay I'm feeling anxious or I'm feeling sad like is there a a muscle progression I guess in terms of processing what's going on externally and internally yeah that's a really important question and I think there's been more attention paid lately in the field of mindfulness to how crucial it is that all of us feel a sense of control and agency when it comes to practicing mindfulness, particularly if we have a trauma history, because so much of healing from trauma has to do 
with these triggers that pop up out of the blue that we don't even necessarily know to expect. And sometimes they're attached to things in our bodies. They're always attached to things in our bodies when we've had some kind of a trauma in the past. And so it can actually feel very threatening and dangerous to focus in on things like our breath, for example, or for some people, particular parts of the body, becoming aware of those parts of the body can be very flooding emotionally. So all of us really need to know that when we go into mindfulness practices, we always have choice about where we put our attention. And if you're following somebody else's mindfulness guide, it's always okay to do something different than what they ask you to do if there's something that doesn't feel right for any of us. So really, mindfulness is the practice of knowing what we're doing with our minds when we are doing it. And so if I'm following somebody else's guide and they ask me to focus on my breathing and I start to feel panicky about that, or maybe that's really uncomfortable, that's not a problem. I just need to know what I'm doing with my mind when I'm doing it. So I might notice Oh, as they're guiding me to the breath, I notice my heart is racing a little bit more. I'm having anxious thoughts. My breathing is getting shorter. Like, interesting. Where would I like to put my attention right now? And then I might choose to shift to a completely different sensory experience that feels safe and grounding for me. So I love you highlighting those senses, right? There are things in the moment that might quickly ground us. Like, let me smell this lotion that's right over here or... Let me really focus in on the bottoms of my feet because that feels safe and kind of grounded for me. Or maybe let me open my eyes and take in shapes and colors around me or listen to sounds. All of us should sort of develop some quick go-to grounding things that just help us to feel like, okay, I'm back right here in the present moment. Because when we get anxious, our mind has gone somewhere else, right? Our mind is kind of like tried to time travel, <laughs> to another experience, whether it's from the past or the future. So we need to have these tools to bring us back into what's sometimes called this window of tolerance. It's like this window where we're like, oh, I can tolerate this, right? But if we get pulled out of that window of tolerance, it's helpful to come back in. So there's no right or wrong in terms of where people start. For some people, cooking could be a triggering experience, right? It's like, oh, I had a trauma while I was cooking or something. And we just don't always know for each other what those triggers are going to be. But we can get to know ourselves over time and to notice, okay, are there particular experiences, smells, sights, sounds, where I know that this is something that can be grounding for me? And then it can be helpful to... Start with the ones that feel a little safer and you can kind of think of it like a hierarchy and then you just kind of layer it over time. So some people will be ready to just dive right into a mindfulness practice where you're noticing all your physical sensations and then your thoughts and then your feelings. For some people, if that feels overwhelming, it's not a problem, right? It's like, okay, let me notice my response. And then in this moment, where would I like to shift my attention to? right now. And then we always say if somebody feels ready to return to a practice, then they can come back. If they choose not to, again, the goal is just to know what we're doing with our minds while we're doing it. That reminds me of another one of your quotes. So you wrote, I am strengthening the logical, rational areas of my brain while reducing the control of my brain's emotional fight or flight limbic system. And that to me was encouraged. I, I like anything that, that feels like I'm making progress in, in one direction. So the thought that, okay, if I'm stressed out, I can train my brain to be, to, to manage this better, you know, or to process this better. I really like that. And then I also 
appreciated throughout just the focusing on increased intimacy with Christ. And you discussed centering prayer in particular. Mm -hmm. So would you what so what is centering prayer, first of all, and then how is this related to mindfulness? I find this to be a fascinating connection. Um, Centering prayer is a practice that was formalized back in the uh, 60s and 70s by some monks who were noticing all these people in the counterculture movement who were flooding to meditation centers to do these kind of 60s practices, right? Like kind of new agey (laughs) Eastern religions. And these monks were, were saying, we meditate all the time. Like this is actually a deep part of Christian tradition is meditation. It's all the way deep into the Old Testament through the practices of Jesus. Like clearly in the New Testament, we are called to be still, to be silent, to be attentive to God. The word meditation is used throughout scripture. So they sort of said like, what, maybe we need to just be a little more clear about what we have to offer here as well. So out of that, they came up with this kind of formalized approach to meditation in a Christian sense that they called centering prayer. The idea is that we get comfortable in our seat. Typically, people are sitting up. We choose one. Sometimes it'll be a word that we want to use kind of quietly in our mind to bring us back to God's presence. Sometimes it will be maybe an image. Sometimes people will use just their breath as a reminder to come back to God's presence. And then we enter into usually about 20 minutes of silence. And it's really just silence where our whole goal is to bring our attention over and over and over back to God's presence in the room. So what people find with this is that as they're praying in this way, Of course, it's developing this intimacy with God, this awareness that God is right here with me in the moment. But like any meditation practice, secular or faith-based, there is this neurological calming effect that can happen as well. And that practice continues as a, it's a very vibrant faith practice in a lot of faith communities. But I see that there's so much overlap with the practice of mindfulness, because with mindfulness, we can choose any object for our attention. It can be something that's a thought or a feeling. It can be a sensory experience. It can be something in our environment or something internally. There's really nothing off the table when it comes to mindful awareness. We can choose to rest our attention wherever we would like it to be resting, wherever we want to anchor it. And to me, the practice of centering prayer is mindfulness, but using God as the object of our attention, as the focus where we are anchoring our attention. Now, secular mindfulness folks would say, no, 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 Irene, you're getting religion all mixed up in that with mindfulness. But I would say from a Christian worldview, we know that God is here. We know that God is present. So there's no reason to quarantine God off in the corner when God is very very much present in every moment that we have. So I think of centering prayer really as the ultimate Christian mindfulness practice, but with a much more specific focus on God's presence. I love that. And I also loved in your book when you said at some point, I don't know if it was in this section or not, but not to have these expectations for God to respond in a certain way. I think that just allows people to take a breath right? That they don't have to, am I doing it wrong? Is I is something wrong with me? So I thought that was really good. Well, this has been a great discussion. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for this book. It's a great resource. It's a great tool. Yeah. Thank you for having me today. It was, it was a joy to write the book. And it's always fun to talk about this subject, this topic. So I'm really grateful for the opportunity. Thank you so much. 
And to our listeners, I hope you check it out. I, like I said, I read it and I've been practicing it. I don't, not as faithfully as I want to. I want to get better at, at being more consistent with that. But again, it's The Mindful Christian. And then you can also, we're going to put her website on our show notes. So then you can go there as well. She's got some great resources. You can find her on Instagram. We'll put that in our show notes as well. And I hope that this is something that you can really begin to experience for yourself as you learn to manage your emotions, to stay present in the moment, to really think through a lot of just whatever's going on outside and within and bringing God into each of that. So again, Irene, I thank you so much. Thank you. And thanks to all of your listeners as well. I hope this is really a blessing for them as they engage in this practice. Well, thank you for listening. I just, we hope and pray that you will take some steps to to build some community, to take those first steps to build some relationships. If you haven't already done so, I encourage you to subscribe to this podcast, then you won't miss a single episode. Share it with your friends. And until next time, may you live as one who truly has been set free. Faith Over Fear is a production of Life Audio and Salem Media. If you liked what you heard today, please take a second to rate and review this podcast in your favorite podcast app so that more listeners like you can find the show. For more faith-filled, inspirational podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. What do you do when your world is falling apart? How do you march when it would be easier to stay where you are and die? Join me every week on the March or Die podcast, and we'll discuss that and so much more.